0: This morning, I invite you to take a Bible in hand and turn to Luke's Gospel. If you're using one of the Bibles provided in the Pew Rack, you can find today's passage, I believe, on page 857. I want to focus on verses 8 through 20 this morning together here in Luke chapter 2. I'll read actually beginning in verse 1 here in a moment. Please join me in prayer as we ask for God's help. Our Heavenly Father, this is your word. You have preserved it for us that we might believe it, that it might shape Our hearts and minds, and we ask that by your spirits working among us, it would do just that this morning. We need help. We need help not just because uh, this is a holiday celebration day and their distractions. We need help because we are sinners saved by grace and we're distracted every Sunday. So would your word shine brightly in our hearts today? Would it grip us with the power of the gospel that we might give you glory and grow in the grace of your Son, Jesus? And it's in His name that we pray. Amen. Before we read the passage, I want you to pay attention to a couple things here. Um, Mainly, Luke here, in telling of the birth of Christ, does so using some contrast and it's very intentional and so I point this out before I read the passage Uh, there's the humble birth that is then announced with glorious praise in heaven there is the darkness of the night and then the brilliance of the glory of the Lord that's shown around Jesus enters the world as one author put it as quietly as snow falling, and God the Father sends an army of angels as a choir to celebrate this birth. Luke clearly identifies that this is the time of Caesar, the one who was supposed to be the Savior and Lord, the one who brought supposed peace, the Pax Romana, when actually the real king that will bring peace was born in a manger. Pay attention to those contrasts and hear the word of God from Luke chapter 2 this morning. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Curianus was governor of Syria and all went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from Galilee from the town of Nazareth to Judea And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Amen. That ends this reading. God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. May he write its eternal truth on all our hearts. Verses 8 through 20 are bookend, being introduced to shepherds and closing with shepherds. So that will be our focus. I want us to think about three things In this passage today, the shepherd's reputation, the angel's message, and the nameless baby. We begin in verse 8, the shepherd's reputation. This is the same region near Bethlehem. They were out in a field keeping watch at their flock by night. Now, it's important to recognize that Luke here is writing a historical document He has investigated these matters, he has talked to eyewitnesses, and this is what he is reporting to us. He's reporting actual real events, and these events are filled with biblical significance. And so, it's significant that in that day, shepherds were thought of negatively, negatively. They were of a low reputation. Some were even of a bad reputation. They had low status. They were a humble class. Isn't it significant that God sends the angels to announce the birth of his son, not to Caesar, not to Herod, not to the Jewish high priest, but he sends his messengers to lowly, stinky, smelly, Shepherds. They were peasants on the bottom of the scale of power and privilege, as one commenter put it. But when the angel came to Mary and said that you'd have a son, and she sings her song of praise, Mary's Magnificat, what's one of the main themes that Mary sings? Luke chapter 1, verse 52, God exalts those of humble estate. God finds the lowest, and in some people's eyes in that day, the lowest of the low, and He exalts them by bringing them the good news. Now, because of their profession, they weren't just thought lowly of, but in a religious sense, though they may have been jewish they were outsiders the constant keeping of flocks left them in a state of being unclean not able to participate in the ceremonial washings in the worship of israel it's the nature of their calling that kept them from keeping the ceremonial law and even further we see in later rabbinic writings uh, the shepherds were despised among their neighbors because they would take their flocks and they were pretty loose with the rules about whose property uh, they would let their flocks graze on. And so because they would go to different properties and the flocks that were in, being raised in the wilderness there under the care of shepherds would stumble into other people's land. some people considered that to be uh, theft that you would allow your sheep to go graze on someone else's property. So some considered them to be thieves because of the roaming herds. And Luke is here in the beginning of his gospel painting, quite a picture here. Jesus will be welcomed into this world by unclean shepherds. And he leaves this world there as he dies on the cross between criminals. The whole life of Jesus is framed by being surrounded by unclean sinners. The shepherds had a negative reputation in the eyes of many, and God seeks to exalt them with the gospel of grace. But also there's the positive biblical reputation that we see of shepherds. Think about throughout the Bible how many times God is doing something and it involves a man and sheep. When Moses sees the burning bush that's not consumed, what was he doing? Well, he was doing agrarian work. He was tending to flocks. There may have been cattle and sheep, but when God raises up The anointed king to replace the wicked Saul. Who's the one that he anoints? It's David, the boy out tending his father's sheep. Becomes a shepherd king. God himself identifies as the shepherd of his people. David says, the Lord is my shepherd. Shall not want. And so this shepherd reputation carries a lot of weight here. And Luke doesn't want you to miss it, right? He said in verse 4 that Jesus is born in the city of David. And then the angels announced to thee, shepherd, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior. I think we're rightly supposed to find hints to so that this baby who is born in a manger is gonna grow up to be the shepherd who will leave the ninety-nine to pursue the lost, herding one sheep and rescue that lost and herding sheep and carry that sheep back home. I think we're supposed to see that here it is, David's the shepherd king's descendant has arrived. And he will be the shepherd who will lay down his life for his sheep. In the text, it says that they were in a certain region. And in the same region of Bethlehem, these shepherds were doing their work. Well, that's part of just the historical facts, but it also carries biblical significance. Because, do you remember what region Bethlehem is in? It's just... A couple miles south of Jerusalem. And we know from ancient testimony that most likely these sheep that these shepherds are caring for, their first purpose, their being in between the region between Bethlehem and Jerusalem, that they are being raised to be sacrifices that they are being raised to be the sheep that would be part of the offerings to God. That it could be that one of these sheep that these shepherds are watching would be the sheep slaughtered on the day of atonement. I think it's okay to say that Luke is giving us hints. This baby born in a manger is the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. This baby is the good shepherd and the sacrificial lamb. Then I want us to think about the angel's message. Now, even when I say angels, we need to clarify here because there's probably some distance in our imagination and what Luke describes here with angels. In today's Western culture, there's a particular image that often pops into our minds when we think of angels. And what is it? It's fat babies with wings. It's not the case here. Not the case at all. I didn't have time this week to figure out where that became the idea. I'm, I'm, who knows? And if you know after the service and you want to come share it with me, Great it's not important it just it's everywhere it's in cartoons it's in comics it's in movies it's in art little fat babies with wings this isn't who god sent that is not the biblical picture of angels angels are messengers they're spiritual beings and particularly they are messengers from god but we also see in scripture that there are angels who rebelled who then are fallen angels So there's a division among angels who are created spiritual beings. Those who are serving the living God according to the purpose in which they were created and those who rebelled with Satan, who are part of trying to wage war against the kingdom of God. And so angels are messengers, but they're warrior messengers throughout the Scripture. And they're intimidating and imposing beings. And whenever one is revealed to be an angel in the angel's glory, the typical response in Scripture is exactly what the shepherds do. It is fear. Terrifying fear. Shaking fear. Not just at the sight of the angels, but also because... As messengers, sometimes they bring messages of judgment. As in Sodom and Gomorrah, though the angel's identity is veiled, they come with a message of judgment to Lot. And if you were to read in the book of Revelation, there's a lot of angel activity. One of the angel's activities in the book of Revelation is those there executing the wrath of God against God's enemies. This is the being. First, it's one who is standing before these shepherds. And so, understandably, they fear. They tremble before them. But what does the angel tell them? Do not fear, for I have a message of great joy that will be for all the people. In verse 10. There's a message of joy. Now, in that first part of the message, it says, joy that will be for all the people. This angel is hinting at that what he has to say goes beyond them who are receiving it. And he's hinting at that the message goes beyond Israel itself. It's for all people, all of Israel and beyond. And we take that for granted, that those who are non-Jews are now welcomed into the covenant community now, that most of us in this room, I presume, are Gentile by, by birth, and that we are welcomed in, formerly outsiders, but find a place in. And this is a theme that Luke will pick up from the earliest days of Christ's life, and you can see it in Simeon's prayer when Jesus is brought to the temple as a baby that Simeon proclaims that he will be a light to the Gentiles. So the angel messenger comes. He announces the birth of a baby. He announces the location. He announces that there is a sign to confirm the message. And then he gives titles to identify the baby or titles for this baby. We've mentioned the significance of the location and we'll look at the sign and the titles here shortly. But after the initial message is given, what happens? The skies break open and there is a host of angels. Now host is military language. So Picture an army of angels in the sky singing. Verse 13, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God, saying glory to God in the highest. And on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now this is this is brilliant way that Luke has crafted it. Here is an army, an intimidating, fearful army announcing peace, announcing a peace that has come. But notice here, the ESV nails this text really well. It is peace that is tied to sovereign grace. It is announced that it will be peace on earth, but then it's qualified among those with whom He is pleased. This is an important clarification about what is the Christmas message. It's not just the cessation of wars and the one day that there will be total peace. No, this message is one of peace that comes through sovereign grace. It is peace for those with whom he is pleased. With whom those he has set his pleasure on. Is grace with those whom will be given the gift of faith and will come to know peace with their creator by trusting in this baby that's been born in a manger. That is the announcement of peace. It is the peace of sovereign grace. These angels are praising, they're celebrating. And maybe we take that for granted. that That's what angels do. Angels, that's their job. To praise God. Ever thought about why angels praise God? These are the unfallen angels. These are those righteous angels. So, they behold the throne of God. They can't help but praise. But here they've behold the birth of the Son of God taking on flesh. And they erupt in praise. Because they've seen the whole story. They've seen the fall. They've seen the rebellion and its consequences. They've been engaged in spiritual battle. And here is the victor who will lead God's people and an angelic host into victory over the enemy. He's arrived as a baby, and they rejoice. Then, it's the nameless baby. Say it's the nameless baby because... Did you notice, in our passage, the baby has not yet been given a name? That happens later in chapter 2. But the baby is given titles here in this passage. Did you pick up on the titles? Savior, Christ, the Lord. That is the announcement that the angels come. And so these shepherds are sent off. They don't know they're going to look for a baby named Jesus. They know they're going to look for the Savior, Christ the Lord. And it's quite a contrast between this title and his location and the clothes he is wearing and the sign. What was the sign that they were to look for? In chapter 2, verse 12, it's a manger. So here it's the exalted identity of savior Christ the lord contrasted with a humble crib. And here it is foreshadowing the humiliation and suffering that this savior will experience for us for our salvation. The sign has biblical significance that Isaiah the prophet in the beginning of his book in Isaiah 1 verse 3 says, the ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. All around, there are people from Bethlehem to Jerusalem across the region and they don't know that the Savior's been born. But there, the ox and the donkey and now shepherds, Mary and Joseph, know that Christ the Lord has come. If you're not a Christian and you're here with us today, we're so glad that you're here. Obviously, you are uh, most likely not... Uh, an angry atheist that you couldn't step foot in a church building with friends and family or neighbors or whoever invited you on a Christmas celebration. Um, But I do need to press you on this, that uh, maybe you're kind of okay with the idea of a baby Jesus. You need to deal with what these angels are announcing about this child. See, there's almost a, a, a secular version of Christmas that still has a place for baby Jesus. The idea that, you know, this world sometimes could be a really gloomy place, really dreary. And to have a baby that represents love and forgiveness, that's, that would be a good thing in our world today. Or maybe you'd say our world is torn apart by conflict and war and a baby who symbolizes the coming of peace, that's a good thing. Well, that's not going far enough. The angels say he's the savior. That means that each of us need saving. That's contrary to what you hear today, today is saying whatever used to be thought of maybe as Uh, Something that is undesirable about yourself, a, a vice, or something that was considered taboo or wrong. No, the goal is not to move away from those things, but just to embrace them. And that is true who you are. Well, as a sinner born in sin and guilt and corruption, it is true who you are, but it's not to be celebrated It is worthy of God's righteous condemnation and His wrath. It's not popular to say that anyone needs a Savior, but we desperately do. We have no hope without a Savior. I need to press you this morning that this title for this baby is that He's the Christ. That is the anointed one. It is drawing on the the Old Testament word for Messiah meaning the one that God would send to deliver his people. Not only do you and I need saving, but we can't do it ourselves. And that salvation must come from somewhere else. It must come from outside of this world. It must come from heaven itself. And that harms our pride. Pride. That if we admit that not everything about us is okay and that we need repair, rescuing, and that we have guilt, that then there is nothing we can do to remedy that on our own. We must look outside ourselves to another. And here he is sent as a baby. And lastly, the third title, it's very closely connected in the language, but we can pull it out. It's Christ the Lord but Lord here means that this baby is the Savior sent from God and he is God himself. And that means that there is no neutral response to the child in the manger. It's either we bend the knee and worship him because he is God we remain his enemies. Now, Luke gives us two responses here in this passage. We see the response of the shepherds who share with others what they saw. And then we see the response of Mary who ponders these events. If you look back in the passage, there in verse 17 of chapter 2, and when they, this is the shepherds, saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And then in verse 20, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. These guys, they can't keep it a secret. So we're given the impression that they go and travel in, in the night from the region that they're in, outside of Bethlehem, into Bethlehem. They find the sign, the manger, they see the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and then they just begin telling everyone that they, what, what they have seen. They said, the angels came and told us, we saw it, he's there. And they worship him. And they leave and they go back to their flocks worshiping him. They have a draw-dropping moment. But isn't it, it's amazing that the, the real climax for, for the shepherds isn't seeing the angels in the sky, but it's seeing the infant child, and they just have to tell others of what they see. And they do. Well, Christian, how can we keep our mouths shut? about what we have known, about the grace that we've experienced, with delight and joy? It is to tell others that peace with God is possible through the son that he sent. When we feel with joy, be reminded of the joy of your salvation and share it with others. And then there's Mary. There it says in verse 19, But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart is deep reflection by Mary. You go back and read Luke chapter 1. This young peasant teenage girl knows the Bible. In, you, in her song that she sings, you could see Scripture just flow from her. And now, this is just part of, of who she is. She's, she was a devout Jew, and now she's seen the Messiah. And she's doing what... She's always done with the Word of God. She reflects on it meditates. The difference being now the Word has become flesh and it's resting in her arms there. Mary most likely was one of Luke's eyewitnesses. That's how Luke has this little information about Mary. Could you imagine he sits down, tell me about the night. The night? Yeah, the night. Tell me about the night. And she walks through the story. And then Luke says, so what'd you do after the shepherds left? I just, I just sat. I, I, I nursed him. The son of God in my arms. And I just, I pondered the gift and the privilege As one writer put it, the the maker of the stars sleeping in my arms. This baby will be like the bright star shining in the sky to light up the whole world, to chase away the darkness. And the darker the night, the brighter this star will shine. Ponder what is happening here in Luke chapter 2. One of the church fathers put it this way What shall I say? How shall I describe this birth to you? For this wonder fills me with astonishment. The Ancient of Days has become an infant, he who sits upon the heavenly throne now lies in a manger. C.S. Lewis, in The Last Battle, ponders this. Puts words in the mouth of his character, Queen Lucy. She simply says, In our world, too, a stable once had something inside of it that was bigger than our whole world. As another author put it, the God who flung the planets into space and kept them whirling around and around. The God who made the universe with just a word, the one who could do anything at all, was making himself small and come down as a baby. Oh, well, I must confess to you, and I think it's you might have the same confession. That oftentimes, we allow our minds to be filled with so many lesser things. And then we reap the consequences of that, don't we? Your Heavenly Father invites you, dear brother and sister in Christ, to set your things, to set your mind on the things above. The prophet Isaiah said, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Would you set your mind upon Christ and ponder his coming, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his return. Ponder that the one who is in the form of God did not count equality with God, thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a certain being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself. Ponder, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth. Every tongue confess that he is Lord, the glory God the Father. O no ponder the words of Isaiah, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it, With justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. On the first Christmas, God the Father sends out an army of angels to invite unclean sinners to come celebrate the birth of his Son. And every Sunday, He invites you and I to come and celebrate the one who is the Savior, Christ the Lord. He calls us to spread this message of joy and peace to all the nations. Amen. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we rejoice in the Son that you have given. We bless your holy name and glorify you with our lips. Help us to do so from our hearts to sing your praises to spread the gospel which is the Only true joy for sinners like us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.